Today's reading is Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill, he called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, say the Lord needs it. Those who are sent ahead went and found it, as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. As they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and put Jesus on it. As they went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When they came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kate, for reading that familiar text. Thank you, choir, for singing that beautiful Hosanna. Hosanna is an ancient word that means save us. That's what the crowd was chanting when Jesus entered Jerusalem, save us. And the Christian church for the last 2,000 years has been trying to figure out what that looks like and how that works. The first thing Jesus does when he gets to Jerusalem, some scholars say is what actually got him killed. He goes into the temple and he overturns the money changers' tables and he opens up the cages of the animals and lets them go. Now, there are various pieces of scholarship about the significance of what that means. One is that it's like going into the National Bank and destroying it or trying to. How do you think that would go over in this country? Probably wouldn't. It didn't then either. The temple was the heart of the economy in Jerusalem. And the powers that be saw Jesus go into the heart of the economy and start messing with it. Another theory is that Jesus was critiquing a system that allowed rich people to get close to God because they could afford a fine animal sacrifice. And it denied poor people access to God because they could not afford to purchase an animal for sacrifice. And some 
Scholars believe that Jesus was attacking that unjust system that allowed the rich to do things in religious circles that the poor could not afford to do. But here's one that is somewhat new to me, but it makes a lot of sense. There is significance to Jesus opening up the cages of the animals and releasing them into what must have been a chaotic scene in the temple. And the message that Jesus was sending in this was, we do not worship a God who desires blood. We do not worship a God who desires sacrifice. So stop this whole theology. Jesus was messing with people's God image. People back then thought God needed some kind of blood sacrifice to be appeased, to be placated. People then and now think that God, the creator of the universe, for some reason needs some kind of blood sacrifice in order to love us. And Jesus was critiquing that God image by saying, you don't need to sacrifice anyone or anything to receive God's love. God is love and does not require such a sacrifice. Now the church has always struggled with trying to make sense of Jesus on the cross. And in almost every few hundred years, there's more and more attempts to try and make sense of this. For the first century or so of Christianity, Christians thought, it was a theory, that the devil had to be placated, and that's why Jesus was the sacrifice on the cross to placate the devil. In the 11th and 12th century, relatively recently, a man named Anselm came up with a, a theory that was so immensely successful that we are still recovering from it. The theory was substitutionary atonement. And it wasn't the devil that needed to be placated, it was God that needed to be satisfied. And there were debates, this is before the Protestant Reformation, there were debates between Franciscans and Dominicans as to whether that theory made sense or not. The Dominicans said, yes, God needed to be satisfied with a blood sacrifice. 
And the Franciscans said, no, our salvation doesn't come from the cross as much as it comes from the incarnation. God's desire to be one of us, to walk this earth as a human being, that's where we get our salvation. And the Dominicans argued, no, God needed a sacrifice, and it was Jesus on the cross in order to love us. And the Franciscans said, no, God loved us before Jesus even went to the cross. Jesus died on the cross not to change God's mind about us, but to change our mind about God. Do you see what they're saying? The Franciscans, which, by the way, they lost the argument, <laughs> and they became the minority report. And the majority report, at least in Western Christianity, was won by the Dominicans, and the Protestant reformers didn't even think to question that. And so the majority report within Christianity, at least in the last 700 years, was that Jesus died on the cross to change God's mind about us. And the Franciscans and other minority Christians said, no, Jesus died on the cross to change our mind about who God is, willing to go to the cross, willing to suffer, willing to show us what death and resurrection looks like. Well, you can decide for yourselves as to whether you want to be a traditional Christian who blames it on the devil, or someone who believes in kind of a new theology that blames it on God's need for blood. Or you can choose to be someone who has been in a minority position at least for the last 1,000 years, maybe 900 years, that say our salvation comes from God deciding long ago to become incarnate and to show us what love looks like. Even love willing to die. Wherever you come down on this theologically, this week we are invited to, to look at the cross and Christ on the cross, which may be the quintessential image of the Western psyche, of the Western mind. And there are things for we who are trying to follow Jesus in this day and age that we can learn from watching what Jesus does on the cross that may help us to be even more faithful followers of Christ. Jesus shows us how to trust that the cross will not have the last word. The violence will not have the last word. The mean-spiritedness that put him on the cross will not have 
the last word. Jesus on the cross, this wonderful image and metaphor of being suspended above the earth, suspended between heaven and earth, holding together these opposites of heaven and earth may show us what it is to be fully human and fully divine and may show us how to hold those things together. Jesus on the cross who is flanked by a criminal on his left and on his right, one who is good, one who is not good, one who repents, one who is arrogant in not repenting, one who is humble, one who continues the lie. And Jesus holds that intention, the good, the bad, showing us we who are trying to follow Jesus also need to hold that which is good in us and that which is bad in us intention, for this is what it is to be human. And this is what it is to be human created in God's image. Jesus on the cross shows us what it is to take in all of the negative and violent words and actions and spirit of his moment and to not respond with vengeance, to not respond with retribution, but to respond with love, to respond with a love that says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Are any of you dealing with angry people? Toxic people or dynamics? Maybe at work, maybe at home, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe on your campus, maybe in the news. Friends, we have something to learn from Jesus, the Christ who was showing us how to take in that negative, violent, mean-spirited energy and not dish it back, but to respond from a place of love that says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Some of the ancient Christian understanding of the cross was to see how God responded to the worst thing that people could do to God's greatest gift. And God responded with love, with trust, with forgiveness, and with resurrection. And so we are invited into that same kind of radical trust 
that even though it looks like things are bad, God will bring something good out of it. God will bring something healing out of it. God will bring something that brings life out of it. And we're invited to let go and to trust. At the end of today's service, we will be carrying this cross around the outside of this sanctuary and we'll form a circle of trust around our sanctuary and people will be invited to touch the cross and to let something go. Good Christianity helps us to let go of something so that we can walk with greater lightness and brightness and joy through life. I don't know what each of us needs to let go of, but we need to let go of something. And so as an act of solidarity with one another, I want to list a few things that I'm pretty sure some of us need to let go of. And I want us all to know that we are not alone. And so as an act of solidarity, I want us to say together as a word of encouragement to one another, let it go. Would you say that with me? Let it go. Someone needs encouragement in letting go of the unknowns of their lives that are causing them great fear. Let it go. Someone here is struggling with the contradictions of their lives. They have been good, but something bad is happening to them or in their midst, and they can't make sense of these contradictions, and maybe we need to just put that on the cross of Christ, and we encourage those folks to let it go. Someone here, perhaps all of us here, are carrying hurts with us, wounds with us that are old, maybe from our childhood, or maybe from a relationship that is more recent, or maybe it's an old grudge or an old fight that we haven't been able to let go of and we need to hear our brothers and sisters in Christ encourage us, let it go. Perhaps there's a part of us that wants to hurt someone else because they've hurt us. And we've been hanging on to this desire for revenge and we can't seem to shake it. But it's dogging us and it's holding us back from really delighting in life. And we may need some encouragement to let go of that desire to hurt someone else or that desire to play the tit-for-tat game. And we need to hear our brothers and sisters in Christ encourage us. Let it go. 
Perhaps there's an old resentment, an old grudge, something that we have not been able to forgive. And we need encouragement. We need someone to say to us, let it go. Maybe it's an old self-image that we learned long ago, but it's not who we really are. Maybe someone said something to us and we heard it and we clutched onto it and we defined ourselves by it, but it's not who we are and it's not true. And we need to hear someone say to us, let it go. And maybe it's a God image that is no longer helpful to us. A God who says, you must do this in order to earn my love. Or a God image that says, I will not love you until And that God image may not be helping us in the flow of love. And we may need to hear from our brothers and sisters in faith say to us, let it go. Hmm. This is hard work. And the things that I let go of, I usually take back and have to let go of it again. Maybe today is a day that we practice letting go or letting go of it again. May it be so for you and for me and for all who are trying to follow Jesus the Christ. Amen.